Welcome to Decision Space, the only show that takes place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. Today, we're talking freshies, because Jake attended Geekway to the West, a convention in St. Louis this past weekend, and he was out of his mind. And he played 14 different games, so I know that he is very excited to talk about them. We hear feedback from listeners all the time that you don't know the difference between Jake, the other host, and myself, Brendan's voice. So I hope that this part of the episode gives you a sense for whose voice is whose. Again, this is Brendan speaking, and Jake is going to be the person speaking for most of this episode. But in this episode, Jake's going to do many reviews of these 14 games. Uh, I don't know if he committed to that. I committed Jake to that. Many reviews on these 14 games, and he's going to talk about the most interesting part of their decision spaces. I don't know if he committed to that. I committed him to that, and I'm here to help steer the interdecisional spaceship and keep us on track. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, it's going to be super fun. I'm really excited to talk about all these awesome games that I got to play, and this is kind of new for us. We haven't done anything like this before. Uh, We should say... Welcome to all our new listeners. Last week's episode did really well. It was so fun and exciting to have uh, T win on our show. What a great conversation. And it's been incredibly rewarding to see the reaction to it. People are on Twitter talking about how they're buying his book now, excited about that. So that was awesome. You know, and if you're new here, welcome. We're so happy to have you. And in classic decision space fashion, you're coming into an episode that has very little to do with most of the episodes we've done historically, which means we're innovating, and that's a good place to be. Pre-planners, next week we're covering uh, That's So Clever is the American title, or Ganshan's Clever, which if you're, you know, I feel like the, the cool kids in the board game community always have to use the German titles, at least for this series. I think that's kind of faded, but for this series specifically, people always use the German title. I don't know why. But so we're just going to talk about the first game, because. That's the one Jake and I have played the most. Maybe the second game a little bit. Maybe not. We'll see. I bought it. I haven't played it, but I bought it. Not to be confused with actually hot game right now. So Clover. That wouldn't couldn't be us. I even read our notes and I was like, Jake, I'm not prepped for So Clover. And I wrote the notes. So yeah, no, it's Wolfgang Warsh's That's So Clever. The roll and write game. Not the one with the shamrock. Okay, Jake, we don't have time. 14 games. What are you, crazy? Let's get into it. All right, let's do it. Where should we start? Well, what's Geekway? Okay, that's a great place to start. Geekway to the West is St. Louis's premier board game convention. And I actually think it's like just a premier board game convention. It's really growing. Kind of on on the map. You know, it's not Origins. It's not uh, Gen Con. But I think like right below that, it's right there. A lot of people travel here from everywhere. There's great representation from publishers. I saw Stephen Bonacore walking around. And St. Louis, if you don't know, is actually a board gaming hub. Uh, I don't want to try and name all the gaming companies that we have here, but there's a ton of them. Uh, yeah. You know, Stonemeyer Games is the one that everyone knows, but yeah, I'm not going to go into it. But there's like four or five game publishers here. I just don't want to forget somebody and then get in trouble. So they're all here. There was a ton of play and win games. And I don't know how many people are at this convention, but I mean, the St. Charles, which is, you know, kind of part of the St. Louis metropolitan area convention center is like filled up with gaming. And and I think one thing that is more unique about Geekway to other conventions, the, the only other one I've really been to is Origins. Origins felt like, you know, more of like 
a game exhibit show. There's like huge exhibit room. This doesn't really have that. And what it does instead is just like put the focus on like playing games. So, you know, this is like a convention for playing games. That is the thing that absolutely everybody is doing all the time. And how, I mean, just like what fun to get back to an experience like that after so long. Yeah, it's so, so cool. And I I love, so I love conventions that are game playing conventions. I think everyone going to a convention of that sort and sort of being in that mindset leads to people trying new games, maybe trying games you wouldn't ever be able to try. I'm sure there's a really big library at Geekway where you get to check out games. Jake's not yeah, even good. Definitely. That's awesome. Um, and that's such a cool experience. Just having at your fingertips hundreds of games, thousands of games that have come out in the last three, five, seven, ten years. Most of the games you played are new games, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. Yeah. The, the last thing I'll say about it was just probably the experience that I liked the most about it was getting to like sit down with a bunch of people that have like, right, come to play games just as much as I have, where I feel like so often in my life, I'm the most into games at the table, right? If I have friends coming over to play games, it's like I'm presenting the game. I'm kind of like, cultivating a game to somebody else's taste and like thinking about like why somebody might like this game where at a board game convention right that all goes out the window you're like you want to play boon lake it's going to take like four hours and everybody's like hell yeah i'm down you know and like that's not something i get to really experience in real life so you know it felt like a vacation right here in st louis where i just got to do my favorite thing totally it can be so much fun to drive the car but it's also fun to get to sit in the passenger seat sometimes Totally. All right. Let's now get into some of these games. So are we just going to go down the list here as we Yeah, let's do it. Is that okay? Yeah, perfect. Well, I started. Okay. So to let everyone know, Jake got Congiere Surface this week. So I put together some notes based on a list of games he provided. Uh, So he doesn't (laughs) know the order that we're discussing the games in. And we're starting with one that he played the most. Yes. Which was Rift Force, a 2021 release. Uh, by Capstone Games, and I think it might be in their like family game line, so a kind of a smaller game designed by Carlo Bordolini. And so, just real, you know, super brief overview of Rift Force. It is a kind of card game where you are mages dueling, you know, in the vein of like Magic the Gathering type, th- like of type of theme and like experience. But it's like that, like crossed with like very much like a Euro game sensibility, like something like uh, a Reiner Kinesia game, really. Um, and so, so it's basically you know this like kind of Magic Gathering battle distilled down into like these incredibly simple component parts. So in the game of Rift Force, you have uh, on you will construct your deck as like the first phase of the game. Uh, so there are 10 different, I, I don't know what they're called, but like spirits or something like that, like in the game. And you do a draft of these. You like deal everybody one, or it's only a two-player game. So each person gets randomly dealt one. And then you'll draft the, you'll discard one and then you'll draft seven remaining until you both have four spirits. And then you will get their respective deck, which mm. is just numbers on cards. So mm-hmm. like there's like the light spirit and that deck is just, uh, or, you know, has like the sun power and it has like damage, but also healing, which makes it special. And that deck is just cards numbered five, six and seven. 
uh, and, and there's like three or I think there's more fives than sevens, but it's like 10 or 12 cards or something. And all the decks are constructed exactly the same, except for instead of suns, you'll have like water. And that spirit has a slightly different power. Um, and different values? No, the same. So every every value in the game, it's either a five, a six, or a seven. Interesting. And that represents its life. So like once like a five card gets dealt five damage, it's dead. And your opponent gets one of 12 rift points that they'll need to win the game. Um, but the mechanism that makes this game so awesome is that on your turn, you have three options. The first is you can play your spirits down on the board. Um, and the board is just five lanes. So you have five lane, like uh, five columns on your side. Your opponent has five columns on their side. So you can put down a card to one column. And you can play up to three cards. But they have to all be either the same spirit type or the same number. And you can place them all in the same lane or you can put them adjacent to each other. Next, you, after playing, you can activate into this is where the game gets really fun. So to activate, you can activate all up to three spirits of the same type or three spirits of the same number. But in order to activate them, you have to discard that spirit type or that number. And like there is right there is the rub of the game because you want to play down like all three fives, but then you're not going to have a five to activate and to redraw up to your maximum hand size. Well, that's like the third action you could take on your turn. So it's just like this absolutely delicious puzzle of tempo, of trying to like identify the right opportunities to take a beat, to draw back up. Uh, you can also score points if like when you're drawing your hand, your lane, you have lanes with spirits in it that are uncontested on your opponent's side. So there's also like this kind of like area control game going on. And it's just an incredibly slick design, incredibly simple game. Um, but the thing I love the most about it is like I played it three times. I checked this game out from the library three times and every time I showed it to somebody, I liked it more and like was learning something new about the game. It's so, like the first mm. game I was like, just got destroyed and like, but I was like, oh, okay, I, I should have done these things differently. And then next time I played somebody else, I like won kind of a close game. I was like starting to piece it together. And then the third time I played somebody, I just like absolutely mopped the floor with them. And it's so like that revealed to me, like there's like, an immense amount of like mastery possible in this slight box and it's like a small box um and yeah so i mean i think you know this game was probably my there's one other game in contention for like my game of the con but like i think what they've done with this game like how much game you get in this box like each of the different spirit powers uh can combine with other ones differently like i feel like you know this game alone is just countless hours of fun to explore if you had somebody who wanted to explore it with you and i really think like for our keyforge fans that listen to this game listen to this podcast like you have to try rift force as a kinesia fan who loves keyforge it yeah. seems like this game is probably you, something you i need to play love this game dude yeah and we, yeah you will definitely love that's, it that's okay the fact that it's only a two-player game is really interesting the art is by uh miguel coimbra who you can tell that uh, Capstone really believes in this game because he's the artist behind Seven Wonders Duel, Seven Wonders, uh, Small Worlds, Cyclades, a lot of really heavy hitting games of the past decade. Um, so they clearly wanted to invest a lot of resources in it. I 
It's funny that you say that though, because like that's you my don't only love the art criticism of the game. No, I think like the art is totally fine. I don't know, like maybe a little generic. Like the art on the mm. box, like could be like ripped straight off like a Magic the Gathering pack from like two thousand and one. I feel whatever. like that's kind of this. I don't mean this in a mean way. That might be Miguel Coimbra's aesthetic a little bit, like a little <laughs> okay. bit generic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's fine. Like my criticism is actually that like. So there's like five, six, and seven of like the plant suit and yep. five, six, and seven of the water suit. And like all the water cards look oh, the same. The same. It's the yeah. same art. And that just feels like like a little bit lazy almost. Like maybe it's an accessibility thing. Like it makes mm-hmm. it like a little easier to be like, oh yeah, these are all the same type. But like so you could put an icon on it. And I that honestly think and I honestly think that like this game is such an excellent bridge maybe like the best ever bridge for like somebody who's into like magic the gathering or like a specific dueling card game to like bring them into like a Euro game and be like, Oh, there's like something to this. And I honestly think like somebody who played a lot of magic would like look at that art decision of having the same art on each card and be like, what the hell is this? Like that alone to me makes it feel like more like a dry Euro game. (laughs) than like yeah. anything else in it you yeah, know yeah. what i mean because like it just makes it be like that could just be like a five of diamonds now because sure. like all the like you know you could just have like the seven plant look a little more like epic right it's like stronger that that's all and it's not impossible the game was play tested at first with like a deck of cards like that um, oh for so sure that's super interesting so it's a oh. nitpick but i honestly think it's like Okay. A pretty big oversight scale of one to ten chances that maya likes this based on the things you know about maya I think like like eight nine. Okay, okay. I, I I wouldn't say ten because like I just don't know Maya's taste that well. But I think it would be a huge hit for you. I don't think it's something I could play with Bridget. Sure. Like, I think it's like yeah. too fighty. Honestly. Yeah. Interesting. And, and and that again, it goes to like the theme because like this game could so easily be like a Kinesia game where it's like shepherds tending to like these different fields. Like it could like or whatever. Oh, you know, it that could, gets me excited. It could be anything. Yeah. Um, and they picked but, wizard stooling. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's Rift Force. Like, super high recommend to me for me. I think, like, wide, wide appeal and, like, tons of mastery in this box. Like, for the decision space people that are, like, into rich decisions with a slight rule set, like, you will find hours of enjoyment in this game. No doubt. Amazing. Okay. The next game, Jake. Are we going to throw it in the bonfire? Because this game is bonfire from steffenfeld a 2020 release that i swear the rule book is oh my god this game you go you go okay so bonfire uh i think is the only game on this list i'm scrolling down well i guess there's like a slight exception but pretty much the only game on this list that i had played before going to this con but i've only ever played it asynchronously on yukata yeah and i would say that that is not an ideal uh, environment to play this game because this is like uh, you know a Steffenfeld to like the Feld degree point salad game where you have uh, you know all kinds of different nonsense going on in this game so like in Bonfire there's the theme is like your gnomes trying to like reignite the great Bonfire which is 
like on the board and like your player board is like has all these other little signal bonfires that you're building but those are really just like tasks that you're like trying to fulfill and when you do fulfill them you get to put like one of the elders from the middle board onto like a common no you get to put one of your elders onto one of the special bonus tasks on the main board and then like once you achieve like a a common goal then you get to put like one of the neutral elders to do like a special action and everything you do in this game you're not going to believe this gets you points (laughs) (laughs) then you summon the judge from the hinterlands this game is codes of dunstar yeah it really is feel like that but it's kind of fun like you know all, all joking aside like the theme is a little bit interesting like the resource components have like weird different shapes you know like it's not just like gold or but it's like fruit and yeah exactly it is (laughs) it's like it's like a root that looks like a skull and like a a blue flower that has like five points on it you know i don't know but like it's kind of fun playing in person to have these like wooden bits that are like Mm. different shapes than you've seen before in games so i was really excited to play it uh it was actually one of the games i want to play the most because having played that async experience and like liking it but feeling like something is just like not coming together with this game that that kind of like kept me off being like yeah i think it's like a great game i just wanted to see what the on the table experience would be did it come together i ended up playing a two-player game with a friend dave and dave is a guy i met at like a geekway in like 2019 and like nice. ran into him here reconnected and we like played games together like all weekend and that's awesome. awesome um so anyway i taught dave this game uh and we played two-player teach play I think we were done in 60 minutes or less. Like, it's just like this game is so much quicker than it really seems like it would be from uh, kind of these like arduous (laughs) asynchronous experiences. And I mean, I'm a fast player and so is Dave. So that was part of the reason why we were able to like get through so many games and have such an awesome time. Um, But yeah, I was impressed by how much this one flew by. And I mean, I had a really good time with it. It's hard to recommend it like, I don't know. It is more complex than like uh, Castles of Burgundy. And I think like, so it's hard, it's hard to say, and it is very similar in a lot of ways. So it's hard to like, be like, this is like the Steffenfeld game you should be playing in 2022. Okay. Let me ask it this way. We're not talking about the regular board, the regular game scale. We're talking about the Feld game scale, which is a special Jake scale. Yeah. Is this a Feld six out of 10 or a Feld seven out of 10 or a Feld eight out of 10? Because I know it's not higher than eight out of 10. I don't know how to answer that question. Like, I don't know what that means, but I think this is probably like below Castles of Burgundy, Bruges, Carpe Diem. And it it might be right there, like four or four or five. Uh, Probably like it better than like Macau uh, or Notre Dame that I've played recently. So I think it's definitely upper echelon in the Feld catalog. And I think like what it does a little bit different is it gives players like when you think about like agency, it gives players a lot more control over uh, the tempo and the pace of the game where in Castles of Burgundy, like the tempo of the game is so dictated to you by like the rounds. Uh, you know, you if you complete your a region in the first round, it's worth 10 points in the second round, four points. Like the, the game is constantly like doling out these tempo gates where in uh bonfire there's nothing really like that like you could be going for like big uh objectives at the beginning game that are worth a lot of points and like trying to pick your spots like when you need to like stop and just like pick up an end game scoring card 
uh, and also like how fast you want to like trigger the end game. It's like much more, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just like a much more organic experience to play the game. So it's like kind of like playing Castles of Burgundy, but like with players having a lot more freedom to kind of play around in the sandbox. Uh, so that's going to really appeal to some people. I think I kind of like, and I think you sometimes also fall in this category of like liking having a little bit more uh, restraints and like finding the way to like work within that to achieve things. Um, so yeah, this kind of goes on the uh, towards the other end. Sounds like for Feld fans who want more Feld. Yeah. Also, de- what you just saw the secret of Feld, right? That Feld games are secretly lighter than you think they are based on the expectations the rules set. Like Castles of Burgundy is totally that too. It's a very totally. light game. And this game too has like it's super easy to explain, surprisingly. Like the the theme is harder to explain. Okay, that is surprising. Than the rules. Because the like when you actually sit down, there's like just like Castles of Burgundy, it's like on your turn, these are like the six actions that you could possibly do. And each one of them on its own is like very easy to understand. And that's awesome. the game. And we're going to keep doing one of you know these actions until the end game is triggered. And we're going to count up our points. Amazing. Okay, we're 22 minutes in and we have t- two games down. So I feel like <laughs> at some point you got to give like a, a one liner about a game. But you should pick when it is because I have no idea. But I'll okay. say... This next game you played twice, so I'm really intrigued. It's Ten Penny Park, and it's a 2022 release from yes. Nate Linhart. This game was also a big surprise for me. So I did play it twice. Um, I guess first, a really brief overview. Ten Penny Park is a polyomino-style game where you're trying to build out a theme park. So on your turn, you get, you're basically able to take these polyomino tiles that represent rides or a single one by one square tiles that are like concession stands and you're trying to put them on your board and they're going to give you points by helping you to go up one of three tracks or multiple of three tracks sometimes that are worth points at the end of the game if you get to the end there are also like hidden objectives that's like i want to get two of the space themed rides into my park before the end of the game or i want to end the game the highest up on this track like that type of thing uh, so it's that very, very light polyomino game. And overlaid on top of that is like an incredibly light worker placement mechanic. So you have three workers, you're placing them onto spots that either allow you to buy tiles or uh, you're placing them on spots that like allow you to like clear trees off your board to make more room for tiles to go down. Or, you know, you can get some extensions to your board or pick up a concession stand. It's like just like a few spaces, that's it. Each round you get three actions and there's like five rounds of the game. So it's like a 15 action game, super breezy. And like the thing I would say about this game is it's just like, it's an incredibly like fun forward game. I think everything about it uh, is really, the, the design I think has like been really intentional about like distilling it down to this very core idea and like making sure that everything you're doing in this game pretty much is fun uh, and rewarding. So you have a player board like Patchwork and there's little trees on it. What do the little trees do? Do you have to pay to take them off? These are, for for listeners, these are 3D uh, wood component trees. And then your polyamos are flat. They're tree poles. Yeah, so you can't, 
So the placement rules are pretty interesting in this game. So unlike most polyomino games where you're trying to like tightly pack them into a square, like we've been playing a lot of Baron Park, which we're going to be covering mm. on the podcast soon, uh, you're trying to you know make your tiles all flush against each other. In Tenpenny Park, you have to have like you can't share edges at all. You can have things sharing a corner, uh, but not sharing a side. So you have to have like one square of space between everything, and you can't place a tile on top of a tree. So there's like an action. I think it's free and it just allows you to remove two trees, but that's kind of like the action that doesn't actually help you win the game. Like everything else helps you win. So that's just kind of like, I've messed up so that, so now I have to like take a a turn to clear some trees that like I can hopefully place something else. Um, But the game does such a good job of like, you place your first tile and then you, you look at your board and you're like, oh great, now I can't like, cover up this bonus space because I placed it right next to it and there has to be space between everything. That's exactly what I did in my very first game of like, I put something down. I, you know, I was like, okay, yes, this is the perfect tile. It's like meets my objective, you know, blah, blah. I've got it, put it on my board. And then I looked at my board. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm never going to be able to get that bonus space by covering that up because of how I've done this, which so like immediately I wanted to play it again, but super cool. The thing I would say, like the first group I played it with, I was the only person that liked it. Like, I thought it was awesome. I was having a great time. Everybody else just felt like it was, like, too light. Um, So it's a very, very light experience. Like, almost a kid's game, I would say, uh, in kind of a weight class. But but that being said, like, my mistakes, I mean, that first game were, like, really obvious. You know, and somebody was saying, like, I don't think there are really decisions in this game. And I'm, like, looking down at my, like, messed up board like (laughs) i'm pretty sure there are like at least for me you know and it really made me want to try it again um and so like on the very last day or my last day of the con uh we were like looking for something light and i pulled it out with uh dave and conrad this other guy i was playing with like all day uh and everyone just like loved it the second Mm. you know with that particular group so i think this game has a ton of merit I think it like, you know, we've been playing a lot of Baron Park. I'm not sure which game I'd rather play, um, which Good is... Good sign. And I like Baron Park. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, it, you know, I think for a multiplayer light polyomino game, that's a very competitive space uh, in the marketplace. And I think Tenpenny Park has a lot of merit uh, and is worthy of consideration for kind of like a gateway game, a game in that, that kind of genre. Um, yeah, the only thing I didn't love about it was the secret objectives, just because I felt like they kind of yeah, railroaded you into a yeah. into strategy. strategy. But that's helpful for like new gamers too, right? It gives sure. you like a really good sense of direction. So that's it for that one. Can I really quickly say, <laughs> yeah. it, you really made me want to try this. It also has art by Vincent Dutre, which is always a plus for me. You might it know It looks him. awesome. Yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous art. And it's published by Thunderworks Games. Uh, who did Cartographers, which I think is really interesting because that's another example of basically a polyomino game where you want to shove stuff all up in each other's face. But in that game, you also do have some blocking. Obviously, it's a publisher, different designer. uh, But I'm just really intrigued by that idea of a polyomino game where you're not trying to jam the polyominoes together, where you're trying to fit them around other objects. It's really fun twist. The game looks so good, like the art on each card uh, and the, it looks great. The art on the tiles looks awesome. It's so evocative of the theme. And then on the back of each 
card that you purchase that allows you to pick up the tile. It shows like an old school, like circus style, like print of like what that ride would have be advertised as. That just wow. looks amazing. And like this next game we're talking, we'll talk about, we played right before 10 Penny Park. And while we were playing this, I just kept like looking at like the 10 Penny Park box. We're like, oh, kind of like, it's like, that one looks fun. Like, I'm just like, like so eager to like dive into something that's like trying to be like fun for the sake of fun. Um, because that's not what this next game really is doing at all. So what did you think of Furnace, the 2020 release from Ivan Lashin, who's also the designer of Smartphone Inc., which I didn't know. I felt like my one sentence review of Furnace was like, I think it's a game, like an amazing game, an amazing design that's like more clever than it is fun to play. And I think part of that is, part of that might be like just this like super drab industrial theme. Like all, it's like, it has this like very stark white look. Yeah. It's very like Google homepage, uh, you know, which is, you know, that's like good design, right? Uh, so that that's like the background of every card. Uh, and then on top of that, you have this like industrial building, uh, coughing up like smog. And it's like well done art. Like the art, it honestly like is very like evocative, you know, and it looks great. And like, if I saw it like in a museum, I'd be like, wow, that's like a really cool painting of like a factory. Um, but you know, it didn't like jump out at me of like scream, like fun, you know? Uh, so the game mechanism is really cool though. It's an auction game, uh, where you get four money chips, your bidding chips, a four, a three, a two, and a one It's very simple to explain. Basically you lay out, you know, X number of cards, depending on how many people are in the game. And then you go around the cir- circle and you get to put one, uh, auction chip on a card. And there are a couple rules. Like you can never put, uh, a, a chip on a card that you already have a chip on you know so if you put a three down on a card somebody else puts a four you can't go and put a two on it the next time to like surpass them and you also can't put a number on a card that already has the same number on it and basically if you win the bid you get that card if you lose the bid you get to like get some consolation prize which is like at the top of the card they might be like get two coal and you get to get that times whatever number you put on that card for the losing bid. So it's that that in and of itself creates like a really interesting decision space of trying to decide, you know, what cards am I trying to win? Uh, what what actually like you're going to not only you're, like winning every card isn't good necessarily because you need some of the concession prizes to like run your engine, which is what happens in each of the four rounds after the auction, you basically run your engine. So it'd be like, I'll, you know, use this coal to upgrade this car. Then that card gives me two more coal. You know, you do whatever you can. And at the end of the game, you're just trying to convert it all into money or points. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it was a it was a fun game. The thing I liked most about it was that everybody got very interesting, uh, unique player powers, kind of like uh, Marco Polo in the sense that they all are just like, crazy busted and yet like worked surprisingly well so like my power was whenever i got a consolation prize i got to act as though my chip had a one higher value than it was Uh, another person got to break the placement rule of uh, both placement rules so they could put the same number on a card uh and i can't i can't remember what the 
other oh the other person got an extra two chip uh so they have get to bid a whole extra time in a round um so that was like really cool and i was really impressed with the design and how well all those player power like everybody got to feel like i'm super powerful in this way that nobody else is which is really fun uh and everything worked great but like i just kind of felt like at the end of the game i wasn't totally satisfied in my experience like i made this engine like i produced a ton of coal and steel and i converted a lot of it to points and you know but there was nothing that was like okay i want to like keep going back to this would you play it again if offered um i i mean i think like i honestly think for me i'd probably rather play something else sure if somebody if it was like at a game night and three people were like, yeah, we're just about to like start furnace, like grab a seat. I wouldn't be like, no, I refuse. I'd rather go home. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, like, for oh, sure. Like, like anything else, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, one more question. Why'd they put a young Abraham Lincoln on the cover? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I can't answer that. <laughs> I've wanted to say that on the show for so long. Okay. What, so I think a lot on. of people will love this game, but I think honestly that's more like, it's just not my thing. Cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. What about Four Gardens 2020 release designer Martin Dolezal? This is not your cup of tea? This one was really not my cup of tea. (laughs) And like, you know, I don't want to be too mean. I don't like get any fun out of like panning a game. But I think like this game just really didn't work for a few different reasons. Basically in Four Gardens, you are kind of like a decision space favorite game Kanagawa, you have Mm -hmm. these cards with beautiful art uh, and you're trying to uh, create a panorama painting. So there's like three or I think there's four different sets you can complete in the game. So there's like a two card panorama, a three card panorama, a four card panorama and a five card panorama. Uh, And you're trying to like so you basically need to like draft all the cards that you need for the panorama you're trying to build. So like if you're going for the five card panorama, there's like a specific card that represents like the fifth card in that panorama. And once you have that, you can't play another fifth card of the same panorama. So you have to like find all the other ones. Um, But the main core mechanism of this game is like there's a giant four story pagoda like thing built in front of you. And on all your cards, so on your turn, what you'll do is first you'll play a card that allows you to rotate one of the four tiers of the pagoda. And on each of the pagoda sides, so like it has like four roofs. Yep. Right. And on each of the roofs, there's like different symbols of of resources that you'll need to collect. Um, And it's like the bottom one is like grass and then it's like rock and then it's water and then it's air. I don't know. I can't remember what it is, but there's four different resources you can get. Um, so you'll rotate it and then the card will indicate whether you collect from the bottom up or the top down, and you can only ever hold four resources at a Mm. time. So get this, like if it says three rocks at the bottom and, or, you know, if there's like three grass at the bottom and then a rock at, you know, and you're collecting up, you'll grab the three grass and then one rock and then you're done. You're not collecting anything else. So a lot of what this game comes down to is like just like trying to puzzle out on your turn, like what is the most efficient way to rotate one of the roofs of the pagoda and then collect resources in a way that like gets you 
some of what you need to like construct projects that you're like then working on. And a lot of times like you have like a hand of five cards. So a lot of times you'll like be like, okay, well, if this thing was like rotated in a different way, I'd be able to get what I want, but it's not. So I have to like figure out like the best case scenario. And like, I need a card that rotates the third one and collects from the bottom up, but I don't have that. because that's like a super specific thing to need. I could rotate the top one. I could rotate the bottom one and collect from the top to the bottom. And, it, and everything is like frustrated by the fact that like you have this giant 3D object that you can't see all the sides. You can only see the side facing you. You're crooning your neck a bunch, I bet. Are you like... You're, yeah, you're always looking... Because like each thing will be like, okay, it'll be three, two, one, zero yeah. on all the roofs. So it's like theoretically, you could just like know that. But that's like a lot of information to keep in your head when they're all turned different Ways. angles, right? Yeah. And so like it just created like some of the worst AP ever for like what is like otherwise a super light game. And I kept thinking like, man, this game just gives you like the, you know, we talk a lot about like sometimes decision spaces can be really interesting because they give you blunt tools to mm. like cr- yeah. do a precise task. And I was just thinking like, man, this game gives you like the most blunt tools ever <laughs> to too do blunt. too blunt to do this thing. And the other huge problem with it I found was like, so on your turn, you do that action, you also play a card and you also draft a card. And I just kept thinking like, and each of those things take some brain power. Like it's really asking you to do a lot on your turn. Mm. And I was just like thinking like, why in the world is this not like a one action game? Like yeah. everybody just took a single action. It would keep, go around the table and keep you engaged. But like, I'm telling you, everybody was on their phone in this game. Mm, like, cause rough. somebody's just like looking at the pagoda forever, like rotating around. And it's just like not deep enough, like on your turn to stay engaged with it. So it was a huge miss for me. It looks absolutely beautiful. Like it has a great table presence. Like the, the panor, whoever the artist is for this game that did the art on the cards, did an amazing job. Like the car- the cards look beautiful, but yeah, it was for, for me, unfortunately not a game that I have any interest in going back to. It's hurt, definitely hurt by the fact that it evokes Kanagawa, which we both love. Okay. I was telling everyone the game. I was like, you guys got to try Kanagawa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously. <laughs> it's this aesthetic, but way better. Yeah. yeah, right. Okay, the next one I'm really intrigued by, a co-design from Reiner Canizia released in 2021. Uh, so it's designed by Martino Chiara and Reiner Canizia, and it's Witchstone. What do you think of Witchstone, Jake? People call this the Feld of, of Canizios. So it really it- feels like a Feld game, almost more so than a Canizia game, I would say. But basically in this game, you have tiles and you're putting them into a personal player board that I think represents like a cauldron. Mm, um, yeah. And each tile is like two-sided, like it takes up like two hexes on your board, like two conjoined hexes. And then it has two actions on it. So you'll get to do both actions when you play it. And there's kind of like a couple of different like mini games, like very, very Feldian. Like you're trying to like get these crystals out of your cauldron. Uh, So one of the actions is like moving the crystals. Another action is like connecting like a network of witches on this crystal ball that takes up the majority of the uh, main board, which looks amazing. This is like probably the best looking game of the weekend. Like it looks so sick on the table. Um, and which is cool for a Kinesia game. Um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, and the key mechanism is that as you're placing these, if you place a tile in a way that, uh, action connects with another action, 
of the same type, you get to do that action times however many it's touching. So if I place, you know, the the crystal action uh, in a space where it's connected to like uh, uh, a grouping of four other crystals, that means like I get to do the crystal action five times. So the game really is, I think like the game is really uh, tile placing, tile laying game where you're trying to do the best you can to basically get the most actions of anyone in the game. Um, and I thought I found that really fun. So you always have like five in front of you. And then you, a- after you go, you get to draw another one. So you can really do a good job of planning ahead. So when it was my turn, I was always ready to like, okay, this is what I'm doing right now. Um, I think this game could be really AP inducing if you're not pre-planning. Like this is definitely a game for pre-planners. Like I only want to play this with pre-planners for that reason. But with that, I mean, it was really fun. Like, again, it's kind of another game where everything you're doing feels really fun and satisfying. Um, And yeah, the only thing like, the only like kind of caveat I had, like I really enjoyed my play. It was a great play the weekend, but I'm thinking like how much do I want to like keep playing this? And it, it kind of felt like one of those games where in my first play, I sort of explored mm. everything. Mm. And a lot of like what you're doing to the extent that there could be like different strategies to explore. Like the guy who won the game uh, and he, he was moving crystals off of like his home cauldron first. And it kind of has this mechanism where you start with a bunch of crystals in your cauldron and you could place on top of a crystal and destroy it but that's like minus one victory point um so you know he was moving all these like he had a bunch of crystal actions like in his opening hand so he could like move them all out and that just seemed like a really efficient thing to do at the start of the game but if you don't have those in your hand like you can't you know you can't take a crystal action unless you have those things so it kind of made me think like it's just the type of game like i don't think going back to it, you can't really be like, okay, I'm going to try something different. You just have to sort of play the hand you're dealt in a way. And you're always going to be doing everything in the game, right? Because you always play all of your tiles by the end of the game. So I'm just like not sure uh, how much intrigue there is in like playing this over and over again. Like, will it feel the same every time? Will it feel different? I think there's a lot of skill in like in, in tile placement. So it's not saying there's not a lot of skill. I just don't know. Uh, that you'll you'll get like a lot of variety in the experience of play a lot of games like this too jake take like okay you're gonna play it 10 times and it feels really samey those 10 plays and then you're 15 plays in and it's like that you've unlocked the matrix and you see how it's totally different but then trying to sell that to someone who's only played it twice they're like i've played this game before yeah and that can be really tough yeah so totally like in this game like i would love to play it again i had an awesome time with it i think it's a great game but it wasn't i wasn't like Oh, like when I when I went back to the play and win library, I wasn't like, let's grab Winstone and play that game. Yeah. Like I was some of these other games. Sure. Okay. Are you well, okay. I oh, yeah. Are you becoming a Kinesia fan? I am, dude. Yes! I can't even yes! lie. Because I'm having such a good time playing Lost Cities right now. Amazing. Uh, it's such a good game. Which TBD, that's a, a little surprise secret for the future. But we gotta move on. Yeah. Okay. This one I asked you about over the weekend because I saw that you played it and I was like, this is not a Jake game. <laughs> this is the oldest game Jake played. And it's a game by Sid Saxon, legendary American board game designer and like collector and just game lover. Uh, and it's I'm the Boss. 
I say this isn't a Jake game because there's like lots of BS. It's like a negotiation game. It's yeah. not a Jake game. A favorite of our friends over on the Board Game Barrage podcast, we should say. I have a feeling they are the reason this game got brought out. I, I kind of met up with a, a different friend, a new friend, and he was kind enough to invite me into his gaming group. So I played a couple of games with him in the morning, and then we were kind of ready for the next thing. And somebody showed up. It's like, look what I found in the library. Like, we have to play this. It's a classic. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I was like literally trying to like weasel out of it because I just had no interest. And they're like, no, it's fine. It's quick. It's like a three page rule. So I sat down and played it with them. It was an hour. Bot- it was an hour. It wasn't too long yeah. or anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I sat down and played with them. And so I'm the boss is a negotiation game where basically there's like a roll and move mechanic where yeah. you roll Hell the yeah. die. Yeah. You roll the die and there's like this giant wooden dollar symbol and it goes onto one of these spaces and that's like a deal. And if it's on your turn uh, and the, it, the deal will tell you like basically like what people in the game need to be involved in this deal in order for it to go through. I don't, I don't want to explain all the rules of this game, uh, but Basically, when it's on your turn, you get to decide, like, do I want to, like, try and accomplish this deal or do I want to, like, pass and draw cards, which I already don't like as a mechanic because it's like I never wanted to draw cards. Like, yeah. That's just, like, not fun. I wanted to, like, do the deal. And the game is you have agency over how much of the deal, the points in the game people get, more or less, right? Yeah, yeah. So all the deals have, like, one more share than people needed in it. So it's like, okay, you need three people in this, so there's four shares. And pretty much pretty much the meta of our game very quickly evolved in like the boss gets one extra share. <laughs> everybody sure. else gets one. And everybody's just like fighting to be one of the people that gets the one. Because like getting a share of money, which is victory points, on a round that's not your turn to like where you're basically guaranteed to be in it, uh, is huge. You know? So like it felt like the incentive structure was really, really clear. Um, and there's I'm the boss cards that let you become the boss on someone else's turn, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, there are, which are totally random. And one guy got like three of them. I got zero of them, you know, and so that kind of sucked, uh, you know. But yeah, so like there are really awesome player power kind of, not player power, but these cards that really allow you to kind of interrupt things. I think like, I think this game is a game that's just as fun as the people you're playing it with. Um, You know, a lot of people kind of like sometimes, I don't think it's like a criticism, but they'll say things of like, shut up and sit down. We're like, well, of course they like these like silly party games because they're like these really clever comedians and like all their friends are like super awesome and funny. But, you know, for us, like (laughs) slobs, like, (laughs) you know, we're not getting that same kind of experience because we're not like semi-pro comedian or whatever. Uh, Conduct. And I kind of wonder if that might be what's happening a little bit of this the game when like the crew of like board game barrage is playing it. Because like, I don't know, I my problem with these games, like as always, is like when you think about the agency of this game, it's like, how do I get to be in these deals? And like, to me, it just feels and sounds like whining every time. Mm. It's just like, because everybody has you know, the same agency, the same goal, same desire. Like there's no like can real you make, lo- logical argument you can make. Can it's you make future? Like, can you make future promises? Sure, you could say like, oh, when I'm the boss, like I'll cut you in on my deal. Play. We got to play this game together. I want to try it. But in general, it's like, 
oh, don't put Brian in there because he already goes in on the last deal. And I, I swear, like the first deal of the game, it might have been the second one. I don't know when I wasn't. I don't think I was the the boss when this happened. But like, so that's like the second deal of the game. The game's just started, and the guy's like, okay, you know, you and you can come in on the deal. And the person who taught the game's like, oh yeah, like because I taught the game. Of course, nobody's gonna like put me in on any deals. I'm just like, oh my god, like is this the kind of like experience people? Enjoy? And I know it's like everyone I was playing with was like totally nice and like lighthearted, but like. That kind of like wheeling and dealing, like I can't get out of my head that that's just like, okay, we're just like whining at each other for an hour because there's no like rational like argument you can make. And the winner of this game is going to be the person who like whines the most or draws the best cards. Like, I don't know, man. It's not for me. I'm not the right person to judge it as you correctly point out, but it wasn't a lot of fun for me. The thing I liked best about it, the same race was I felt like it was going to drag on and on. Um, because you're doing the exact same thing every single round. So there's not like a lot of intrigue there, but the design does a very good job of the share value ramps up each round. So it gets more and more important getting in deals as the game goes on. And uh, it has like a variable ending condition where the game could be a max of 15 rounds, but at the 10th round, you start rolling the dice. And after the 10th round, if you roll like a, a six, the game's over right then. And then it's like you roll a five or a six after the 11th deal. So it's like becoming more and more likely. So that added some like genuine fun and excitement to the game. Sounds like a ton of really cool ideas that maybe with modern design tools, Sid could have brought even better to life. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Cafe. This is a two times play game 2020. And this game is designed by uh, the credit on BoardGameGeek as Costa and Rola. Two different designers. I think they're Portuguese. Yeah. Anyway, this is a this game was a big surprise to me. I just grabbed it at a whim from the play and win uh, room. Uh, and what this is is like a very interesting card game. Um, so it's just a deck of cards. Each card is a six square grid, uh, and they show different actions on it. So on your each round of the game, you'll be drafting one card and adding it to a tableau. Um, and that decision of how to add it to Tableau it was like one of the most challenging and like brutal decisions of any game I played all weekend. So like I was already just really impressed with this game from the get go, because what you have to do is like cover up two, three or four squares. So you're every time you're getting a new card, you're taking away actions and opportunity because then each square is a different action. And basically what you're trying to do in this game is like you need cards that have coffee bean because they produce coffee. And then you need cards that have like a drying mat on them because that allows you to dry the beans. And then you have a, a coffee grinder that allows you to like grind it. And then finally you have coffee shops where you can like distribute two. Mm. So in this game, you're taking actions and you're trying to go through this whole supply chain, to like create different varieties of coffee and ultimately sell to these shops. Uh, which is super cool to have all of that in just a card game. Um, and what was really fun about it is it's like just a 20-minute game flat. It's like eight rounds, mm. you draft eight cards, play them down, take a few actions each time, and then you're done. And I think like what this game accomplishes with such a simple set of components is really impressive. Uh, I think there are some like pretty significant flaws with it in that like, 
if you need a drying mat and there's mm. none available to you, you're kind of stuck for that turn. So yeah. there's a ton of randomness just in like how the cards come out. And also I think like the cards are not equal at all. Uh, so some of the cards have like two blank squares for some reason, where some of the cards have like all six have profitable mm. actions. So I'm not sure if the designer thought like, oh, these blank squares are good because it makes it easy to place a card on it next round mm. and not covering up. But like clearly that's just a downside over something else. So there are definitely moments in this game where it's like somebody has to like take a not good card and then it flips over like an amazing card that just has all the actions. And you're like, well, I'll take that one. Uh, <laughs> But super easy to overlook that, uh, you know, the randomness in this game for what is a really interesting design. Uh, it's, it's honestly one that I would love to pick up and show people because it's like that clever and good and fast playing. And Cafe is also a beautiful game on the table. It's just, yeah. it looks different. It's, it's, I mean, it is beautiful. It's also it stands out as just being different than most games sitting on the table than I've seen, which gets bonus points for me. A game that aesthetically looks different on the table. Really cool looking yeah, game. Totally. Yeah, it was fun. That's why I checked it out twice. Because like, I just, like, had to show Paul uh, nice. Solomon. Yeah, I was like, you got to see this. He liked it, right? That's like a total Paul game, I bet. Yeah, he was impressed by it. I think he noticed yeah. some of the same like kind of criticisms I yeah. pointed out to you. But we, we had a great time playing it. Okay, next game. Martin Wallace, 2020. Anyo 1800. What do you think, Jake? I, this was another one I like really wanted to get to the table because I'd heard a lot about it. So Anyo 1800 is like a big Martin Wallace game. And this is just like a resource conversion type of game to the max. Like there's like the main board is basically just a hundred different technologies that you can buy and build on your board that allow you to like buy and build other technologies. There's also this there's also this really funny uh, thing where like the it's a variable end condition where you start with like seven goal cards and when you accomplish all your last card, you uh, that triggers the end game. But the funny thing about that is like tons of things you do in the game just like add more cards to your hand, um, including some of the goal cards. <laughs> That's a cool mechanic. So it's like every time you like add a new worker, you have to like draw a goal of like that worker type, basically, yeah. uh, which creates this like moment where it's like we've been playing this game for like an hour and a half. I see. Yeah. And I'm like, guys, I'm back down to seven cards, <laughs> you know, and everybody's like, oh, but so I honestly like this game has a reputation of being like really long playing. And I think it's because of that. Like you feel it like it feels really long. Yeah. You're, it feels like you're not getting anywhere. You're just like treading water. And cause that's what you're doing for like the bulk of the game. But then the ending snuck up on us like really fast. Like maybe 15 minutes later, I was out of cards because I played a few cards, like two different cards that let me discard two other cards in my hand. Yeah. Like some of the, uh, it basically the game forces you to get to like the most expensive, uh, types of uh, resources and most expensive types of technology so that you can like accomplish the most powerful goal cards. And those give you like really powerful benefits to complete them, like play again or discard two cards out of your hand. Um, so like once those things come online, which it you know probably takes about like an hour and a half to do so, then like the game ending is imminent, even if it seems like everybody still has a handful of goal cards. If this game was uh, async available, you would grind the heck out of it. 
I think so. Yeah, it's a game I really thought was interesting. Uh, I'm not sure if it's one I'm going to want to buy just because. Uh, when would you again, get it to it's the like, table? It's, it, it might be a game that was kind of like it didn't have like the like the fun of it didn't like super mm. jump out at me. Like yeah. I was fascinated by, it. I was like enthralled by the play, but you know it was kind of like it. It, it actually like the mechanics are so light when it gets mm. down to it. Like there's a lot of different things on the board, but all you're doing on your turn is like getting a few resources and picking up one. So kind of like what you're doing on the first turn and what you're doing on the last turn, very similar. Yeah. Um, but there is a fascinating game there, which I think, and I actually won this game, one of the few games I won this weekend, which made maybe made me like it a little more, but like, I think what the game actually is. So I'll tell you like the best mechanic in this game is like, there's these trade tokens you can get. And this is how I, this is like negotiation that I like. You can give somebody a trade token. uh, And if, if they do, or you expend a trade token, you can use any of the technologies they've built and they get one gold for it. And they can't refuse it. It's not negotiation. <laughs> well, it's a little bit of negotiation because it's like if two people... Oh, you're like, use mine, use mine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I just love that. It's like negotiation that like you can't refuse. Yeah. Like that, that's my style of negotiation. Um, so I think like what this game actually is, like the game is like trying to... is like being the person who's best at like zooming out, looking at like what's happening on everybody's board to identify the technology that is like, needed at that moment the most or like and when it's good to do that versus like when it's good to like get the technology that you need so that you won't have to like give use other yeah. people's stuff and that, that is like fascinating yeah. yeah that sounds like the i'm i'm in that's yeah. learn the rules to tenor's trail so we can play it okay okay Ta- tavern tales legends of dungeon drop 2021 okay. this could be a good one Okay. A good, a good like thirty second one. So don't try this one with two players, because <laughs> that's what I did. It didn't really work at all. Uh, it's basically super, super light bar game. I think like kind of like like skull or something. You're flicking stuff. No, you're not no. flicking stuff. Okay. Uh, it's like it's kind of like um, almost like a trick taking game where basically you'll be like, I'm gonna go. So there's like five different locations. And everybody has a hand of cards that have like one or two different locations that you could send that person to. And somebody will essentially start a trick and be like, I'm going to the ice caves and they play an ice caves card and it goes around the table. And if somebody's like, no, I'm going to the ice cave, uh, then it, you know, it go around again and anybody gets a chance to like take it from them. And the person who's like the last person to play one and it goes around, nobody else puts any more ice caves gets the treasure. And you're playing to get like a certain amount of points, but it's it, super light, but incredibly punishing because the cards that like don't win are just out, like discarded. So I think it would be a fun game to play with more people. I'd love to try it like over drinks with a, a group more of like three cool. to five, but at two, it was like, this is not working. Okay. What about Riverside 2021 roll and write game from Ilif Svensson, designer of Trails a- of Tucana? Yeah, I'll do, I'll give a quick one too. This was a really fun little roll and write game. I had a great time playing it. Uh, I think there's some very very clever mechanisms in it, but 
to me, it kind of falls into like the category of roll and write that I'm just not that interested in ultimately where it's like a roll and write game for gamers. Like it's mm. too complicated to teach to non-gamers and like, but, and complicated enough for gamers that I would almost always rather play like something that's not a really clever roll and write if I have like a group of gamers to play with. Am I right too, Jake, that there's a lot of randomness in this game based around, it's not like a flip and write, you're literally like there's a, a track and you like roll a die and you could do any action between one and three actions that are coming up. So you kind of have to like guess around what action is going to come out. Yeah, kind of. I think like there's enough, I, I didn't find that I had like any trouble at all, like doing profitable things on every okay. turn. I think like the game promised that there would be like some like element of like risk mitigation. Like I have to make sure... So basically you're like crossing off different types of passengers on a cruise ship uh, to get like tickets. And then you could take that type of power passenger to like different attractions that appear. So I thought like going into it, like maybe there'll be some like challenge of predicting like when a yellow attraction is coming up. So like I could know when to get the yellow people ready, but I just didn't find that really mattered. Like I was always able to like use a yellow attraction, like when I needed it. Um, but there, there, were, there was some clever stuff. The, the, the mechanic I liked best was uh, you'd roll the dice and you'd find the median dice and you'd take that uh, yeah, and yeah. the other two below it. And so like the low value dice you could use for free to get passengers. And then the three more expensive dice, you could use those two, but it cost like fuel and you had like a limited supply of fuel. You had like, I think 14 fuel the whole game. Interesting. So you could take a six die to get six passengers in one color, which is huge, but that's like almost half of your fuel for the whole game. And once you're out of fuel, you can't take any of those up there. So you could really put yourself in a bad spot. Um, I think this is an Isla's clever Svensson roll and write trick trait, I think, where it's like you have really high agency plays, but you only have a few of them. So like lots of skill testing, skill shots. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's What about this next one, Jake? 2021. Crater's impact on the board game community and one that I know you've been looking forward to playing for a long time. It's the crew mission deep sea 2021 Thomas. Yeah. So uh, we only played a few rounds of this. I was pretty excited to, I played the original crew. So I was excited mm-hmm. to see what uh, crew mission deep sea brought. And I know a lot of people have been saying this is just like a strict upgrade to the system and the crew, the original one, which won like best game of the year or whatever. So that's pretty impressive. And I have to say, it definitely is just a strict upgrade to the system. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, basically, the innovation that this brings in is in the original crew, there are like 50 missions in the book, and they're always going to be the same. They're pre-designed, pre-described missions. In this, uh, in, you still have that, which will like give you the setup, but then you have a deck of cards and it will basically tell you the difficulty and you'll shuffle this deck of cards, which is like all kinds of different tasks. So it might be like a task is like you have to win. Uh, the player who takes this task can only win a single pink card or like you have to win all the yellow cards or you have to win a trick that has only even numbers in it or so on and so forth. And it'll basically tell you the difficulty And then on the back of the cards, it'll tell you like how difficult that was. So you'll keep flipping over tasks until it adds up to the prescribed challenge in the book on top of like whatever the other part of the challenge is that's written in the book. So 
every time you played Mission 2 in this game is going to be different. Whereas every time you play Mission 2 in the original crew, it's going to be exactly the same challenge. So I just thought that was like a fantastic innovation. Um, If you don't know about the crew, it's a trick-taking game. Uh, If you don't know what a trick-taking game is, look it up. I'm not going to explain it to you here because we don't have time. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But basically, it's a trick-taking game with the innovation that it's a cooperative game with limited communication. Um, So you're trying to accomplish these shared goals without speaking to each other. All you can do to communicate is, and sometimes not even this much, depending on the challenge, is you have a communication token. So at any point during the play of the game, you can reveal one card in your hand and say whether it's the only card of that suit that you have by placing your communication token in the middle, whether it's the highest card of that suit and you have, revealing that you have other lower cards as well, or whether it's the lowest card in the suit that you have. And you have to work within that confined confines to come up with a situation where you know Dave is winning only a single pink card. I'm winning all of any one suit, but not pink, obviously. And Conrad is winning a trick that contains all odd cards. And doing all of that, you know, without communicating besides this very limited way is a fantastic amount of, it's just like just the tension is really great when you're getting down to the end and like we're almost there are we all on the same page and i haven't played this game enough to like really fully grasp it like i felt like dave and conrad i was playing with like got it more than me mm. uh so sometimes i was kind of like a little bit lost towards the end where i'm just like playing cards like i hope i'm like not like missing something like super obvious here uh, but you know the moments where you successfully do it and you've won the game is feel awesome it just feels awesome like it feels like you get like all the excitement of winning like a much longer more Mm. involved cooperative game uh and it feels truly cooperative right there's no quarterbacking issue i mean the game is just fantastic i'll also say this is the secret trick right we were talking about games with blunt tools the communication tool is a tool that looks blunt that can be really sharp and make you feel like a genius. And that's like this, the secret apex of games talking about agencies and like tools that you give your players. That's when it's the best. You're like, here's this rock. And they're like, this isn't a rock. It's a scalpel. Like I can say <laughs> all this information with this one little thing, which that's amazing. That feels yeah. Great. And I think, should, the, yeah. I think it could be definitely a good episode topic in the future. But like the other thing that's so interesting about this one is like you get to have such different experiences. Like in some of the games, like I would be the leader and I'd be like leading the trick almost the whole time. And the agency, when you're in that like driver's seat, you're basically like determining Mm. like how this is all going to play out. And then there's this like amazing moment where you're like, "Mm, I'm not really confident that I know where to proceed from here. So I'm just going to like play this one. And now somebody else is going to have to like, kind of like take over and be like, you know, you like the person's leading the trick. Trick really feels like the leader in this game, and you know that kind of like swapping agencies of like being like I'm in charge, I'm the leader of this crew to be like I'm just like here to like help out and like get along, and how that like can naturally flip on a dime. It's like I don't know that there's anything like it in any other game I've played. So awesome, Decision Space Classic. I'm tearing the shriek. 
on the crew mission oh. deep sleep. I'm not even joking. This is a copy. I have Jake can testify. Wait, it's true. I gotta get it in here. So you've heard it once on an episode. You're hearing it again. We're gonna cover it at some point. Okay. okay. Two more I, games, I Jake. Copy. Yeah, you I think we can power make it. through. We can do yes, it. We can do it. So the next one, Railroad Inc., another roll and write game, and honestly, kind of another pass for me. I think like th- this one. I had a both this and Riverside, like I had totally fun experiences playing with, but I think they both kind of fall into the same category where it's just like a bit too much going on mm. uh, to the point where it's like, I don't know. It's what just version a personal did you play? preference. I played the green box with trees. Okay. Okay. So I guess there's like a bunch of different boxes and in each box there's like a, a different two One different extra modules mechanic. you can use. Yeah. Yeah, at the beginning of the game, he's like, do you want to use like trees or something else? And I was like, trees. Trees, sure. (laughs) Um, But basically in this game, you roll like six dice. And on each of the dice, there's like a crazy variety of die faces that could come up that show some combination of uh, railroad tracks and roads. It could be like half, it could be like two rails crossing in the middle or two rails or like a single rail or like a corner or like an end of the rail or both things or just trees. And so on a round of the game, you roll those dice and like you use all of them on your board. So it's just like, so such a heads down experience, right? I mean, absolutely zero interaction at all. You know, we're both playing a solo game, which is fine, but it just seemed like, I don't know to me, I, it was just too too much to like think about and process uh, in in any given turn. Like you have to like write down like the number each time, and I had to keep looking back and be like, wait, did I use which of these things did I use? And you can't really grab them. And like you know, if I was playing a solo version of the game, which I would, I'm not really a solo game player typically, but I think I would like this more solo because then I could like write down a die and move it over here. But because I was playing with other people, I couldn't do that. So I'm just like having to like look and like remember yeah. these things. It's just a lot to track in my brain at one time. And I actually won this game too. So that really lets you know that it's not for me if I won it and still kind of, yeah. Mine, I used to play Railroad Inc. over coffee, but we would just play the base game. No added expansion module. And I think that that was enough. I enjoyed it. Yeah. But speaking of lakes, how yes. Was, how was Boone Lake? Okay, this game... Alexander Pfister. Alexander Pfister, designer of Great Western Trail and even greater broom service. Yep, the great broom service. (laughs) The the greatest broom service. uh, Put out another little ditty called Boone Lake. And, you know, I was sort of... I was really interested to try this because, you know, Pfister is a game, is a design that I've been really hot and cold on. Like Broom Service is a top five game for me all time. Like I love it. Uh, Great Western Trail I think is fine, but obviously I'm a lot lower on it than most of our listeners um, and and most of the board game public. Uh, he also did a game called Blackout Hong Kong that I played and just like really bounced off of super hard. Um, so I was kind of feeling like, oh. Fister, like you're awesome game designer, clearly, but like you need to go back to doing lighter fare. I think that is your strong suit. And here's Boone Lake, the heaviest 
game of them all, as far as I know, that he's ever designed. Capstone Games. I'm going to try it out. And Brendan, this game is so incredible. Oh, no. This game is awesome. I This was probably the single best experience I had. Wow. I mean, maybe Rift Force is my game of the con, but maybe it's actually just like Boone Lake. Definitely the game I've been thinking about the most. And I, I'm just like really not a heavy gamer. Not that I don't like heavy games. Just, I just don't have, they just don't fit into my lifestyle. Like when I play games, generally I'm playing with less experienced uh, gamers. Experienced yeah. gamers. So we don't play heavy stuff. And when I'm playing with like very experienced gamers, they're like very busy people and we don't play for four hours typically. So it's just really hard to fit in long games. And I think Boon Lake was like, I think our play was like two hours and 30 minutes at four players with like another 45 minutes for the teach. So it was a long, you know, heavy game experience. Um, But that doesn't mean I don't like heavy games, but it's just like so rare that I find a heavy game that I'm like, how am I going to like acquire this game and find time to play it? Because I think it's absolutely deserving of that. And I think like, honestly, not since playing a feast for Odin, have I felt like I want to own this game and I want to find time to play it again. Like basically I've only played a feast for Odin, like on my birthday. <laughs> that's like my game that I'll play on my birthday. Cause that's the only time I really get the chance. Uh, and I feel like Boone Lake 2023 birthday game. Like nice. I think it's that good and like deserving of time. It's a Rondell so, game, like Great Western Trail and Maracaibo. Yes, um, kinda time track. Definitely game? not. I haven't played Maracaibo. That's yeah. the other thing Boon Lake has done is like it's made Maracaibo shoot up on my list of things to try to like number one. Like I'm actually like really want to try Maracaibo now because people I was playing with were like, "You gotta try Maracaibo if you like this." Um, but so Boon Lake it has a sort of Rondell mechanism, but it's more like a it's more like a track. So you have like yeah. a river that you're proceeding down and it does loop back once and then it proceeds to the end. And I mean, let's see, this game is just like, you know, this game like absolutely trips all over itself to be like, this isn't like a settlement style colonizing game. But it is. It was designed but that it's, way. I mean, yeah. 100% it's like the same mechanisms. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, like it's not for me to like say whether or not like that's acceptable to just say like, okay, this isn't like the American West. It's like a made up place called Boone Lake. It's like Westworld. Basically there's like some weird like science fiction notes, like in this, like some like kind of like technology stuff happening on the board that doesn't, that seems like doesn't really fit in with the landscape or whatever. So, I mean, not for me to say, but like, I mean, I, it didn't bother me in the play. Like, I think it's good that, you know, people are more conscious of these things now. I mean, it's better than just being the American West and totally whitewashing it, I think. But anyway, I mean, like, so in this game, uh, what you're doing is like you're exploring the land. So you're taking tiles from a board and you're placing it onto a grid. And when you do that, whenever you cut, you'll cover up a spot on the board and get a bonus that has the newly explored lands. We'll have spaces that you can put down your uh, inhabitants not settlers, inhabitants, 
because you know nobody was there before so you don't settle it you just inhabit oh, there God. because nobody was there so oh. that's, that's the difference so you put your inhabitants there and then you can upgrade your inhabitant into a house and then you can upgrade your house into a settlement um so i mean that's the type of vibe like you know the settlement is like the exact same wooden piece that is in Catan. Catan. yeah yeah um but I mean, like the core of this game, and I think why I love it so much is like this is really a card game. So on there's a huge deck of cards like that have all kinds of unique, different abilities. There's just so much clever stuff in this game. Mm. Um, but basically, on your turn, you'll pick an action, uh, and it's kind of has a uh, Praga Kaput Regni situation where you take an action. The ones that are higher up towards the top give you the benefit of being able to move further down the river where you'll get better benefits. And then after you get that, you'll put that to the bottom and slide everything up. So it's like Praga, but just like way more intuitive to understand how it's like working and benefiting you. And you get to set tempo. I'm understanding for everyone at the table. Interesting. Exactly. So the tempo is like, is very fluid. And then on each of those cards, like it has, two parts so the first part is like you get to do alone and the second part everybody gets to do so uh you know unlike the very light four guardians where everybody's like on their phone like in this game it's like you are engaged 100 percent of the time because like they're taking their action and you should be thinking okay what am i going to be doing with the second part of this thing so i can be like ready to go boom 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 and i've heard like uh I mean, I listened to some reviews of this game. Like, it kind of got panned on uh, Game Brain, where they mm. said, like, their play of this game took six hours. And I was just like, uh, <laughs> like, like, what were you so, guys doing? So, this is like definitely a group dependent thing. But I mean, uh, and, and, and even, uh, you know, our friend Tony Faber kind of felt like critical of this component, feeling like it kind of like bogged down the game. But I just had a totally opposite experience with it, where it's like, I think I was playing with a group of, you know, people that were engaged and like thinking ahead about what they kind of were going to do. So, you know, it would sort of be like the person would do their main action and finish. And then everybody could kind of simultaneously just like, okay, I'm going to discard this card to get two coins or I'm going to play this card like boom, boom, boom. Yeah. You know, it didn't slow it down. And also meant like I had to pee for like two hours and playing this like super heavy game. And I keep thinking like, there's going to be a, a downtime. Like I'll just do it like right after my next turn. And it's just like, I couldn't, Why? like I could not like my like attention. I mean, eventually I was like, I got to take a five second, like a five minute break yeah. you know, <laughs> or whatever. And that was fine. That's but pretty it, good though. That's it a good was really good. It, yeah. I mean, it just made me realize like how totally engaging and enthralling this game is. Um, the, uh, I think like the other comparison to this game is, so it's another Suchi game. Uh, it has very much an underwater city vibe to it. Where Why? so there's so there's two reasons. The first is like on the actions, there are three different types. There's like daytime, evening, and nighttime. And you, when you pick an action, you can play a card that matches that type. So on your turn, you're incentivized to take ones that are higher up on the track, right? Or higher up on like the positions you can move further down the river, but you want to make sure you have a card that can like match with that before you take that. So that like has like this element of sort of 
uh, pre-planning and making sure that you're going to be in position to like take advantage of the more advanced cards that I felt was really interesting. Uh, so that was one way that's kind of similar to that sort of card and action synergy is big in this game. Um, but the other way was like, there are these interim scoring uh, periods. There's four in the game or there's three and then there's end game. Uh, but in the interim scoring, it creates these like tempo gates, like, or, or what we would talk about as uh, using our language, punctuated, sure. uh, waning decision spaces or whatever, uh, where you start out with resources and then you're like spending and spending and spending. And then in the interim, interim scoring, you're going to get like a huge influx of resources, mm. cards and money. And it's going to get bigger each time. So you get to do like more and more and you're parceling out and then it's going down and then like uh, it's going back up. So like again on uh, two wood for wheat, Tony was really critical of this. He said, I felt like it kind of like bogged down the game, but this was my like favorite part of the game because I felt like it was so much fun, like planning for that influx, like both trying to like stretch my resources to make it last and also like put myself in a good position to like be able to score and take advantage of interim scoring and then like getting all those resources again, like is, and and being like, okay, now I have like all this money and cards I can do all these fun things with. That was super satisfying. Um, And I think the most clever mechanism of the game, the thing I liked the very most is in the interim scoring, there are, going to be each person gets dealt like two gold goal cards at the beginning of the game and you'll pick one to put it on the board so there are four goal cards out in the first round of the game uh or sorry so on each goal there's like four different uh objectives to complete it so mine was building settlements so in the first round you could complete it with zero settlements out so it is free in the second round, you had to, have, to be able to score that one. You have to have one settlement. In the third round, two. In the fourth round, three. So they get harder and harder to score. Uh, so in each round, you get to put out a scoring token uh, on one of the four settlement or four goals. Uh, and so in the first round, if you achieve it, you get one point. If you get it, if you don't achieve it, you get minus one. In the second round, it's two points or minus two, so on and so That's forth. Cool. With the notable exception that your scoring goal that you put out there, whenever you put your token on it, it's times two. So the best way to play the game is to like score your goal in the fourth round where it's the least or where it's the most valuable, right? So you get four times two as opposed to like one times two. Uh, so I thought that was super clever and created this like really uh, kind of compelling decision space each round about what to try and achieve so like for example in in my play i chose to take a negative one in the first round because one of the goals involved like exchanging money for points and i was like Mm, you know what i'm gonna let everybody else deal with this i'm just gonna focus on spending my money like profitably to like advance my engine and just like not worry about that all i'll take the minus one now and then i'll have so much engine and money i'll be able to build all my settlements and score mine in the last round and when you know, in the last round, I took a minus eight. <laughs> oh. I, I was like one turn off of getting it. Um, but it was like, you know, I just thought that was a really interesting decision space. I mean, there's there's like these like lever things in this game that kind of give you, I'll, I'll allow you the opportunity to like construct your own unique individual player powers. Um, 
that like I'm like desperate to try out like different combinations of those. There's so much interesting stuff going on in this game. I really think like, you know, I think it's an amazing design. I think it is group dependent. Um, you know, some some people obviously, you know, if if your group's AP prone at all, stay far far away from this. But if you have some people that are like going to be engaged, going to pre-plan their turns, there's no reason why you can't play this game in, you know, 40 minutes per player, like it says on the box. I mean, we did with four new players. It sounds like it truly has that fister hook of uh, a truly engaging and different decision space every time, which makes me interested, even if I think that the hand waving around the theme is just like painfully embarrassing and rough. But you clearly love it. So now I'm I'm definitely intrigued and I want to learn more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What can I you don't do? know. Theme is like, it's a difficult topic that I think the entire industry is like grappling with. Yeah. Better so I don't know. I, to, yeah. To me, it feels like a little bit like, and again, I'm not an authoritative voice on this at all, but like, it feels to me like, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. Right. Like they're definitely taking steps in the right direction. And and I don't know that like we want to be in a place at a hobby that like there can't be games where you're constructing buildings on land. Sure. You know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I think that don't let perfect be the enemy of good, but maybe we could go even further. Definitely. And we should continue to encourage people and to we go want Fister to Absolutely. do better. That's that's yes. the, that's the crux. <laughs> Yeah. But next week, no theme at all, except for maybe some <laughs> random foxes you collect. And that's so clever. I hope you all enjoyed this episode where Jake did an incredible feat of reviewing 14 games in almost 90 minutes. Almost 60 yeah. minutes, but 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah it's just a little... Yeah, we're, we're close first. enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Listen to I, it in two parts. Yeah. If you enjoyed this episode, know that... Uh, let us know, please. Uh, you can catch up with us in all the classic places. Check out the show notes for more info on that. I'm not going to do any specific plugs this week, but you should check out our website, decisionspacepodcast.com, where you can learn more about everything Decision Space uh, and also find links to where you can learn more about me, Brendan Hansen, uh, and Jake, Jake Friedman. Yeah, and it doesn't count as a plug if you say I'm not going to do not it. Not a plug. <laughs> yeah. See you all next week. See you next week. And thank you, as always, to Hembry for allowing us to use their amazing song, Reach Out, as our intro and outro. Bye. Bye. Bye.